This week on the Product Agility Podcast, we find ourselves in Lisbon, Portugal at the Productize 2023 conference, where attendees will get to hear talks from Melissa Perry, Tammy Reese, Leah Theron and Radhika Dutt, to name but four of the amazing speakers. We are here to do our talks in 10, and they're the best way for you to get the inside track and behind-the-scenes insights on the talks and workshops from the conferences that we partner with, so you don't miss a beat. If you're at the conference, come and find us. We're hard to miss with our podcast t-shirts. If you're not, then just enjoy these talks in 10. And who knows, maybe we'll see you at Productize 24. Today's episode of the Product Agility Podcast comes with a special gift in association with Aha Slides, your go-to engagement tool for fun, engaging and effective learning and workshop experiences. Whether I am teaching the criticality of a clear and compelling product vision or facilitating a product strategy workshop, Aha Slides always makes it a more elevating and effective experience through its polls, quizzes and brainstorming tools. Discover how Aha Slides can elevate both your in-person or remote experiences by visiting Aha Slides and use the code AHAXPROD, which is also in the show notes, for a whopping 50% off of an annual subscription. Welcome to the uh, podcast. I'm still in the Productize 23, and the reason that I'm here is because one of our previous guests... That's uh, me. <laughs> who I enjoyed recording an episode with so much. <laughs> Recommended. <laughs> uh, to Andre, the, one of the organisers of this, so I should come. And yes, it was Tammy. And I've been kind, I don't know, more excited than I, than I should be to meet you in person, Tammy. I have been super excited to meet you as well. You're so kind, so kind. But I had such a blast when we did our previous conversation. I felt so relaxed and there was lots of laughs. So many laughs. I love uh, Did you have to edit out some of them? There were too uh, many laughs. We had to actually deliver content, not just laughs. Were, I, well, I think that was before we, I had a producer. Oh. So I think that my editing might have been quite lazy and I might have left a lot of it in because I loved it. So I hopefully have some more laughs today. But we are on a short time budget today before we are doing Talks in 10. And Tammy, you've been at Productize 23 doing a workshop and a talk. Yes. Which I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about. So the talk I just delivered is called The Only Three Questions You Ever Need. And the workshop I gave yesterday is called Everything is a Product, Even You. And they're pretty tightly related in the nature of I'm trying to evangelize product thinking. And product thinking, to me, is understanding your vision, making a plan to get closer to that vision, and iterating along the way via feedback. And so... That is the way we treat products, the way we manage products. And so the only three questions you ever need are, where do we want to go? Where are we coming from? And where should we go next? And we ask those questions around products, but we can ask those questions around anything, an internal process, an organizational change, a document we might be producing, our lives, where to go on vacation, whether or not a child should go to a particular school or anything else. All of these life decisions, business decisions can be very clearly answered if you start with these three questions. And they are the fundamental questions to product thinking. And so once you have the concept of product thinking, you can apply it to anything. The questions are great. It reminds me a lot of some of the coaching models, which are all about saying, like, you know, where do you want to go? Where are you now? And then, like, what are your options for where, where you want to go forward? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's fantastic, right? And it works. And, and we're here with lots of product people 
who I'm guessing were very keen to understand how they could be perceiving themselves as a product. Yes. And your workshop, did you have good attendance? Were you happy? Yeah, we had, yeah. Each one of the workshops here had something between 30 and 40 people. There was a limitation, so everyone had to spread out. But it was really a great bunch of people. It was very interactive. Lots of people asking great questions and making great comments. And the activities we did in the workshop were thinking about yourself as a product. So I asked people to set up their personal product vision. What did they want out of their lives? What does an ideal day look like? And then after your personal vision to do your professional vision, where do you see your job fitting into your life? Mm -hmm. What do you want to achieve in your work career? And we also talked about where are you now for as a person? What are you, your unique selling propositions? What makes you special? What is your superpower? I actually had three people stand up and do superpower posers and talk about their superpowers. And then the where do you go next is something you have to evaluate for yourself from all those options. And hopefully you're doing it with the lens of where to, like where do you want to go? So it sounds like the people that came along got a, a heck of a lot of stuff for themselves personally as a, as a result of coming on the workshop. Yeah, I mean, we also did an entire thing about how do you improve the retrospectives at your teams. It was the meta retrospective. Yeah. How can we improve the retrospective, which is supposed to improve everything else? How familiar were the audience with retrospectives? Because I know this is something which is very popular. I mean, it's, it's part of the Scrum framework. It's overused in the in the agile world and i think maybe lent on too much as, as a mechanism i'm not i'm not taking away the value of yeah. them but that, that it's very useful but I'm, I'm wondering if your audience here were as familiar with it so i was actually surprised because in my mind everyone doing any software development does some form of retrospective maybe that's just the bias of working at pivotal labs which is an xp shop but Retro is, we literally say we can retro anything, but I would, there were a few people who had never heard of retrospective and I said, you might call it a postmortem, something around improving your processes. I think where retrospectives get a bad name is when people aren't authentic, when they're not facilitated well, when you don't actually make action items afterwards. So nothing actually changes. It just becomes a bit of a complaining festival. Yeah. You like the way I changed my word there and didn't curse, right? Um, oh, no, you can absolutely swear. I can totally curse. It's oh, a bitch fest. A bitch fest, love it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's, that's the lower end. I'm, I mean, for the, sake of, for the sake of Steph, give me an evil look. I'm not going to mention the other swear words that have been mentioned so far uh -huh. in the previous episodes. So, bitch well, fest yeah, so that, that's, that's where retrospectives go wrong. And so it was a really good exercise in the terms of how do you treat everything like a product to say this internal thing we do all the time probably was designed to solve a problem market being our current team as the users and the customers. And is it actually fulfilling those needs? And if not, how do we iterate on that? And how do we come up with the best ideas to make it better? How do we understand what we're trying to make better and why? Yeah. And then how do we start implementing changes with the understanding that we might be wrong and, and trying again until it actually reaches that outcome that we want, which is a retrospective that is a free space for people to talk about what isn't going well and making it better and actually it making things better. I believe that the reason why retrospectives get a bad name and why they lose their effectiveness is because, sure, we can talk about what we need to improve, but it's that why, it's that vision that's missing. I think what you're saying when you're looking at yourself as a product or doing this general kind of good practice when it comes to product thinking is having that understanding of where you want to go, but also why. And then I think that should be enough. That purpose should pull people through the retrospective. When you have retrospectives that result in no action items or action items which are never carried out, for me, I always think of that more of a, of a motivation. 
yeah. issue. And the where you want to go, the vision is we want to be a collaborative team that builds products with impact. And the retrospective is one of the things we do to double check. Are we doing that? Are we working together well? Are people communicating well? And are we making the choices that have impact? Are we building the things that matter? And if your retrospective isn't centered on getting you back to that vision, it probably isn't very helpful. No, without wanting to get drawn into the rabbit hole of retrospective, we'll, we'll, we'll pop back up yeah. from the rabbit hole. Your talk this morning went well, I yeah. hear. And then was there, I saw you were on stage. Yeah, a, we did a Q&A. With a Q&A. Was that a planned Q&A? Was that an ad hoc? Uh, it was planned that we would be on stage answering questions. It was yeah. ad hoc in the nature that the questions were actually coming from the audience via Slido and polling yes. and upvoting. I did not actually have a, a question that was in the top three. So we chose one from the top five, which was somebody asked why we wouldn't do question two, which is where are we coming from <laughs> first? And I explained that if you only think about where you are now as where you should go next, if that's the first question you ask, the options you explore are much closer to home. And if you start with where do we want to go, you have much more opportunity, much more open playing field and much more expansive thought about how to get there as opposed to what's the next closest thing we can do. And you end up, as Radhika calls it, like narcissistic, but you, you end up just feature factoring and iterating in on the small things around where you are now and hyper perfecting something that isn't necessarily going to have impact, which is what you want. Yeah. The question, where do you want to go? Two, where do you want to be? In my mind, metaphorically opens a door for you to then see forward and expand your thought. As you said, yeah. where are you coming from? You ignore the closed door in front of you and you're just looking behind and you're assessing where you've come from. And that, yeah, that's not going to end up in you having that expansive thought. Yeah, you're just and the classic, the, the classic thing that people do is they do customer development and they talk to their customers about what's working and what isn't working. And then they change their product based on that. But if you don't talk to your prospective customers, your prospects, the people who are choosing not to use your product, you're never going to actually expand mm. your customer base and serve more people and solve more problems because your customers are already pseudo satisfied with your product. The prospects and the people who say we don't want to use you, they have reasons. They have needs which are not yet met. So that is also why you want to be thinking towards your vision because you probably have a larger addressable market prospects out there in the deep sea that you aren't going to be able to talk to if all you're talking to is your customers. We are pretty much at time. However, however, what I'm really intrigued by is this. We, everyone speaks a lot about meeting customer needs, meeting user needs. How many of the needs are do the customers or users don't even know they have? Like how many things do we use in our lives which meet a need which maybe we didn't? We, if, you, if someone said to you, what is, what is your need or what do, you, what do you need? We never would have come up with the ideas because there was a product a CEO, actually, of a software company who said to me many years ago, it's great you're talking about user research. It's great we're going to talk to our customers, but where do we fit in the stuff where actually we're having innovative ideas which go above and beyond what people believe that they need? So I think people don't understand what they need, and I think there are a lot of products who don't understand the needs they fulfill. The jobs to be done framework can be helpful if you really know how to use it. But an example I use is my husband was part of the team at BrainPop, which is an educational technology company. And if you thought about the job to be done that they do, they provided educational content that helped introduce or reinforce learning. But I said, that isn't actually the job you do. The job you do is you give a teacher five minutes to not be in front of the classroom and not talking and drink coffee or take a student who needs a little extra help or some disciplining out while everyone else is entertained. I said, that is what you provide. You provide five minutes for a teacher to review their lesson plan. It's, if that is the value you provide, not the information. 
And he said, yeah, I guess you're right about that. And it's, it's, you have to think expansively about your user and what are they doing everything and what are their larger needs, not just the simple ones. There's a doctor who I know and I'm I won't mention his name. I really want to mention his name. He's awesome. A general practitioner in the UK. So somebody who's seeing patients on a, on a, on a daily basis, many patients. And we were talking about AI and talking about software and products. And there was always conversation happening. He turned around and said, look, when I've got somebody coming to me presenting with a pain in their leg, my thought isn't about the software or the product or anything to do with that. I want to spend as much time as possible focusing on my patient and making them know that I want to help them feel better. I don't want to be in a tool or looking at something. What I want is I want software, I want products which make it easier for me to maximize the time that I'm spending caring about the patient in front of me and with them. And if that means I get an extra one minute, then that's valuable to me. And I just it's the same with what you were saying. It isn't, it isn't the obvious things. The fact that there's AI now for GPs, which can suggest prescriptions and suggest recommendations and guides and the rest of it is great. But what that's doing is giving the GP more time of their patients. Hopefully. And uh, hopefully. Often it's not. But if it's not, then that's another because problem. Because the problem is, is that a lot of that sort of software is based on a outcome, which is we want to properly bill the insurances so that the billing team can get reimbursed yeah. easily and quickly. Yeah. So we need to end. But this is really interesting because this is the difference between the UK and US healthcare systems. Ah, uh, yeah. And actually the GP I was talking to works for a UK company, which is part of a much larger US company. So there's huge, interesting disparities and we're going to have to bring it to an end, Tammy. Ah, I really wanted to talk ah. about how you had to think holistically about the knee and the person's body, but I'll get no, you Maybe another next time. time. I've got a feeling we'll talk again. <laughs> Tammy, if people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Productleadercoach.com or you can find me on LinkedIn, Tammy, T-A-M-I-R-E-I-S-S. Lovely, Tammy. As always, an absolute pleasure. Everyone, thank you very much for listening and we'll be back again soon. Thank you for having me.